At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I help people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes, after an incredible run, you need to take something off the table. Even if every fiber of your being screams that you should be buying not selling anything. After another strong day where the Dow gained 252 points, S&P advanced 0.59%, NASDAQ climbed 0.6%. I think this is one of those moments where you have to ring the register on something, even though everybody else only wants to talk about buying everything. Don't get me wrong. I do like this market very much. You will hear from a bullish chartist later on, whom I agree with. I think lots of stocks are indeed headed higher. Many stocks that were previously left for dead look like that they can indeed roar. Bye, bye, bye. The truth is, we're in the sweet spot where the Fed may be done tightening and is even thinking of cutting rates. When that happens, you can't fight the friendly Fed and you can't fight the tape. It's clear sailing for many stocks that might otherwise be getting hurt. Historically, this moment should be the best time to buy. But we own a lot of stocks from my charitable trust. We talked about them today at our club meeting, where you can go and listen to the replay if you'd like. We own a lot of stocks. However, we are selling into the rally at this stage. Why? Because if you've been around, if you've invested for many years, you know that this is a terrific moment to sell something. We are way overbought, plus seven on the oscillator. We've had seven straight up weeks. So it feels aggressive to me to press your luck at this point. So what should you do? I think you should look at your portfolio, decide what's had a what we call a parabolic move, an insane rapid run higher, and then, yes, do some trimming. For example, we own Broadcom for the Chapel Trust. Whoa, what a stock. Great chip maker with a software kicker that recently acquired VMware, a major player in what's known as virtualization software, which is, which is what makes the cloud possible. We think it is a terrific combination, a mixture of hardware and software that deserves a much higher valuation than a standalone Broadcom. But in a week and a half, the stock rallied more than 20%. Parabola, people, parabola. 
So we sold some shares for the trust. It wasn't heresy. And we didn't sell the whole position because we like Broadcom too much. We just trimmed the position, which admittedly feels old fashioned and old school in a market that loves stocks that go up in a straight line where people just trace, chase them and chase them. This small sale evoked tremendous surprise from my walk on the street colleague, David Faber, when I mentioned this morning. So I thought we should talk about it. Why sell some Broadcom? Let me give you some rules and insights that I've gleaned from more than 40 years of managing money that propelled me to do so, even as maybe everyone on this wrong. I don't know. They've helped me before. First tenant, bulls make money. Bears make money. But hogs, they get slaughtered. Translation, it's okay to make a ton of money on the long side, same with the short side. But if you don't take something off the table when you got a big win, well, you're being a pig, and pigs are most likely going to get slaughtered. Now, there are many stocks where I am seeing some really piggish behavior. If you stuck with one, and this is really the ultimate case of it, if you stuck with a firm holding since the last quarter began, or more specifically when the buy now, pay later company announced an expanded relationship with Amazon, you've now made an astronomical amount of money. The stock jumped from 17 and change to 21 on the Amazon news, but then since it's rallied all the way to $50, including today's 15% move after Walmart expanded its relationship with a firm to include its self-checkout machines. I like a firm. The company. The buy now, pay later business got through a particularly difficult time when the Fed kept raising interest rates relentlessly. They did not have credit problems. Lots of people thought a firm would get crushed, and many still do. And that's why the shorts decided to gang up and try to crush it. 22% short interest as the bears never bothered to cover when the Fed pivoted. Those short sellers must be beside themselves. The short side got crowded. And that attracted buyers who smelled blood in the water the same way they found the next GameStop. Now the shorts are desperately trying to find stock to buy to close out their positions and save themselves from more pain. The house of pain. Especially now that the Fed's likely to cut interest rates next year. And that would be fantastic for a firm. But unfortunately, a firm stock is now going parabolic. On news that it isn't, it really isn't all that credible. Amazon likes their service or else they would be expanding it from individuals to businesses. Something that's happened when the run began. But I think businesses are a lot less likely to be enticed by the buy now, pay later formula. Walmart's move extending to buy now, pay later to self-checkout doesn't seem like all that big a deal either, since the firm was already available at Walmart. To me, this is a parabolic move brought on by contracts by, that simply aren't a big deal. If you own the stock, you should be selling some up here. Everything I've learned in more than 40 years in this business tells me it's time to take something off the table. But the bear hunters are back. <laughs> And they won't be happy until all the shorts are roadkill. Unfortunately, since GameStop went to $400, none of these buyers want to sell any stock. Doesn't matter whether $400 is basically where GameStop peaked. The owners are being pigs for holding on to a firm betting on $400, betting on a parabolic move that's another 350 points to go. Why not sell some a firm and hunt for something else to buy among the down-and-out bank stocks that haven't moved yet? Or the credit card companies that could be the next big thing? Sadly, these buyers don't seem to care about value. They only want to crush the shorts. And they want to break the backs of them to take the stock up probably double where it is right now. It's the GameStop playbook, people. Let me tell you something else I've learned. It's almost impossible to call the top an individual stock. So what you need to do is sell your winners gradually on the way up. That way you won't get hurt too badly 
if we're at the peak and you don't miss out on the uh, too much upside if we're not at the peak. But if you've got to sell something because moves like this run in a firm don't last forever, well, go do it. Of course, it can help running. Uh, it can help running and the bulls will mock me for being too cautious. But if they never sell, eventually they're going to get burned. You don't have to ha- you don't have a profit, by the way, until you sell. And that's why you need to acknowledge that we're all fallible. We don't know when people will figure out that neither the Amazon nor Walmart deals are big for Amazon. But the buyers don't want to give up on a good thing. I say, how do we know whether this firm is worth four dollars, 40 dollars or 400? Because we do not know. We can't possibly know. We accept our fallibility and we sell some stock when it's roaring. That's also what why we only sell some, not the whole position, because none of us are perfect. Really, none of us are smart enough to nail the top perfectly. Sadly, these rules seem like something from a bygone era, don't they? How can you ever talk about selling, Jim, if you think it's going higher and we can crush the shorts and affirm? How are you so sure of the need to sell when you should be buying? I hear that, but I, I know that nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. On the other hand, I'd never forgive myself if we held on to some of these stocks for the Chapel Trust and it, they tanked and we had sold nary a share. Then again, I'm old school. I just never thought I went to no school or one giant unaccredited school of hard knocks. The degree is worthless right now. Sales become a dirty word, which is how you know the market's going crazy and how they're going to take a firm up gigantically. Bottom line, if you've got a huge game, I'm begging you to take off something. Just take it off the table a little bit, even as nobody wants to sell in this market because it's so hot. As for me, though, I'm not willing to watch my winners turn into losers. And you don't need to go all the way back to the dot-com era to see what happens when you don't sell. The same darn thing happened at the end of 2021, for heaven's sake. The bears would, were, were praying, I would say, affirm next stop 100. I hope they don't hound me when I say take something off the table. But then again, I know they will. Tony in Florida, Tony. Hey, uh, Jim, I want to give you a big booyah for today's monthly meeting. It was great. Oh, thank you, Tony. I know people can go listen to the the replay. Thank you so much for that. What's up? I really appreciate it. But the one I'm calling about is one of the stocks in the club. I don't have any consumer staple stocks at all. Is Procter Gamble a buy right now? Yes, that's the one because they have a billion dollars in weak dollar. The the strong dollars crushed them. They lost a billion dollars on that. And they have the raw cost coming down, but they have not had the lower price because of their technology. Procter is the one you want. John in Illinois. John. How you doing? Not bad. How about you? I'm trying to get by. I'll tell you. I'm looking at a stock called ARM Holdings PLC. Yeah. What's your outlook for 2024? Okay, I think Renee Haas, the CEO, is tremendous. We said we liked the stock in the 50s. We said we liked it in the 60s. I'm not backing down. I think this stock can go to the 70s. Now, if you've got a huge gain, I am begging you to take something off the table, even as nobody wants to sell in a market that's this hot. And the affirm, short, the affirm busters think the shorts will have to cover at 100. On my money tonight, stocks ending the day higher once again with the Dow and Nasdaq hitting their ninth straight day of gains. Wow, but what are the charts signaling for the new year? I'm tackling the technicals. Then I'm sitting down with the CEO of Huntington Bank Shares to find out what the Fed's latest moves mean for the regionals. But first, my exclusive with an under-the-radar player aiming to disrupt legacy beauty brands. Don't miss my sit-down with Oddity Tech. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week, we took a look back at the IPO class of 2023, especially the ones I recommended or warned you away from. I got a lot of these right. I was told you Arm Holdings was good and Kyle Group, telling you to steer clear of Savers Value Village Instacart. But there's one I didn't nail, and that's Oddity Tech, the Israeli direct-to-consumer cosmetics company. I endorsed this one in July because I liked the numbers, even though it would run right out of the gate. But then the stock tumbled from 48 to 24 and it slows in late October. Like I told you last week, though, I'm not ready to give up on this one, especially because Oddity pre-announced a terrific quarter in early October, issued excellent guidance when it turned in the full report last month. Sure, sure enough, the stock's now rebounded to just over 44. I have to warn you that there is a lockup of insider selling that expires next month, so you might want to wait before you pull the trigger, although that has not necessarily been the case this year. That said, I very much like the story. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Lindsey Drucker-Mann, the global CFO of Oddity Tech, learn more about its business, although we can't get into too many specifics because they currently are in the quiet period before earnings. Ms. Mann, welcome to Man Money. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jim. Great to be here. You have a tremendous business model. It, it is truly incredible. And I'm going to take it right from the perspective because I love this. You basically said our success is based on our outsider approach. We are a technology company seeking to reinvent every aspect of a massive industry. Tell me what that means. Great. So, Oddity is a consumer tech platform. We are transforming the beauty and wellness industry, and we're doing it with technology by unlocking online and by delivering consumers best-in-class products that really solve their pain points. In just five years since we launched in the U.S., we've built the largest direct-to-consumer uh, platform in the industry. We have two of the most successful direct-to-consumer brands across any vertical of all time, Il Maquillage and Spoiled Child. And you know, we're just beginning. 
Uh, we continue to um, grow our market share with our existing brands. We're launching new brands, new products, new categories. We're already winning in beauty, in skin, and in hair. Effectively, we're recreating what the beauty mega caps did in physical retail, but we're doing it online. Well, you also have the rare combination of scale and growth and profitability, and the profitability is stunning. Now, I don't want to get you in trouble in terms of the uh, quiet period, but just from the perspective, you guys are doing really well. We are. No, we are really uh, proud of the financial results that we've been able to deliver. So if you look back at our earnings call for our third quarter, we talked about this year we expect to grow revenue in excess of 50%. That's after having grown almost 50% last year, and we grew 100% the year before that. Uh, And as we talked about on that same earnings call, um, we didn't do even close to what we know that we could have done because we're purposefully holding back to pace growth. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I just, how did everyone hear about it? I mean, how do my makeup people hear about it? I mean, everybody seems to know it. Now, now, I'm not obviously your core customer, but yeah. it does seem like you have a, a, a big visibility. People are very yeah. excited about you. Yeah, we have over 40 million users Jesus. on our platform today. So um, we built our platform, actually, to support a portfolio of standalone brands, each with independent operating teams, but shared technology and shared data. data. So Il Maquillage is our first brand. Today, it's the largest online beauty brand in the U.S. We only launched it five years ago. It scaled that quickly, and it's got a big and growing business overseas. Spoiled Child is our most recent brand launch. That was in February of 22. It's less than two years old, but as we said in our last earnings call, uh, it will deliver $100 million of revenue and profitably this year, which makes it, we think, the most successful direct-to-consumer brand launch across any vertical of all time. And we've got more brands. Brand three and brand four are in the works to launch for 2025. Brand Brand three is a medical grade skin and body brand. So we're addressing a whole range of issues and skin concerns for consumers. That's what's amazing about this category. It's huge. It's global. There are so many subcategories and pain points that consumers have underinvested in by these dominant incumbents where our technology can really solve their problems. All right. So where do you fit in between two companies we've had on many times? Elf. Yeah. Uh, and then Estee Lauder, which yeah. should have bought you. I don't know what the heck they're thinking. Yeah. No, listen, um, those are two companies that we really respect. Uh, Elf has done a great job. They've delivered great performance. Actually, we trade, and you probably know this, at about half the EBITDA multiple right. of Elf, despite having financials by comparison that are um, pretty strong. And also, we think that we overall operate in a bigger and more attractive market. Uh, Estee Lauder has created extraordinary value over the long term for shareholders. I know more more recently it's had a little bit of challenges, but if you take a bigger step back, and that's by unlocking distribution for prestige beauty. And again, that's exactly what we are doing, but online, which we think is the most important channel in the category. We expect it will be half of the beauty and wellness market. You only have to look at a market like China just to see how big that potential is. Oh, absolutely. Now, people should know about you, that you have a little a traditional background, you were managing director and head of consumer and consumer tech equity capital markets at Goldman Sachs. Right. How did you transition to this business? Uh, believe it or not, I loved my job at Goldman. I wasn't looking to leave. Uh, but um, listen, if you meet my CEO and our co-founder, you'll know right away why I decided to leave a job. I love to join him. But listen, in my almost 20 years on Wall Street, I had the opportunity to get to know thousands of consumer companies, tech companies, internet companies. As soon as I saw his PL, I knew right away 
I had never seen anything like it before. I had never seen a business scale as quickly, as profitably online. And so I knew they had a different mousetrap. Uh, and then I saw how fast the team was running, and, and that's become even clearer to me, just the caliber of our talent. Super ambitious, running at a huge opportunity, already working on multiple brands, multiple categories. And then lastly, when I saw the beauty industry, which is something I was very familiar with, it's always, those were always some of the best stocks. It's just a great category. Oh, totally. But if you could inject some technology to really transform it, it felt like it could be a home run. And is that the derivation of Oddity Labs? That is a kind of a funny name. Yeah, so our name Oddity comes from the fact that we're outsiders. We don't have anybody that works that came from industry. We come with an entirely new playbook, and that's part of our success. You've had uh, incumbents that have tried to figure out online, have tried to innovate and failed. And part of their issue is that they're using an old playbook that worked for building right. brands and department right. stores. It doesn't work for online. So we had to come with totally fresh thinking. Total. Oddity it's Labs true. is our in-house biotech, which is where we're building next generation of consumer products to, again, really solve people's pain points and transform the market. I, I know I'm supposed to move on, but I have to ask you about the impact of the Israel-Hamas war on Oddity. Listen, these are really challenging times. Uh, our team in Tel Aviv, which is where our R&D center, they are extraordinary with incredible courage and hearts. Hasn't affected our business, as we've said in our last earnings call, and we don't ex expect it to. Well, look, I, I want to congratulate you. I, I know that I don't know your quarter, and I know there is this lockup, but what a powerhouse company you've created in what a short period of time. Congratulations. It's really quite amazing what you've Thanks, done. Thanks, Jim. It was great to speak to you. That's Lindsay Druckerman. She's Oddity's Global Chief Financial Officer, ODD. I think it's an amazing company. What can I tell you? You know I like the cosmetics business. It's been a winner for us, particularly out in the old days. It was Estee Lauder. Man, money's back in. Coming up, with so much cash on the sidelines, can this tape really be nearing a top? Kramer goes off the charts for a Yuletide read on the market. Next. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Can this brave new market continue roaring like I told you about at the top? Ever since the Federal Reserve came out and told us they were more worried about causing a slowdown than fighting inflation, while floating the possibility of three rate cuts next year, the averages, they've been unstoppable. And unlike the rallies earlier in the year, which were all about strength in small groups of very large companies like the Magnificent Seven, this new bull market has tremendous breath with winners all over the place. So is this kind of action the new normal? You need an empirical answer to that question, which is why we're going off the charts with Jessica Inskip. She's a terrific technician. She was the first woman on the active trade of Jessica Fidelity, and now she's the director of education and products at Options Play, as well as the co-founder, uh, as the founder and co-host of the Market Maker podcast. That's Make Her, M-A-K-E-H-E-R. Who doesn't like a pun? If you remember during chart week at the end of July, Inskip warned us that August could be a heinous month for stocks, and she was dead right. Then on October 24th, after months of carnage, she told us we could be looking at a major turning point in both the Dow and the NASDAQ 100, which turned out to be the all-time great bottom call. 
After the remarkable move we had since late October, Inskip says it's very difficult to call top with so much cash still sitting on the silos, a common refrain by the bulls. It takes money, uh, it takes time uh, for money managers to reposition. Many of them were waiting for a green light from the Fed chief pal, and we only got that last week, so they're positioning furiously, which is what you're seeing. So when Inskip sees the broadening of the bull market, she thinks it's the real deal. For most of 2023, the averages were pretty much carried by the tremendous strength of the few mega-cap stocks like the Mississippi 7. We also had genuine bull market in artificial intelligence, which came out of nowhere to help solve the labor shortage. This translated into astronomical demand, phenomenal earnings, uh, growth for a small number of stocks like NVIDIA, and a buying frenzy in their stocks. Now, Wall Street's been intensely focused on the big picture macroeconomic numbers, but not everything gets the same level of attention. Inskin points out that we've seen a huge uptick in productivity, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, with non-farm business labor productivity up 4.7% in the third quarter. And that is huge. Very pro what the Fed wants to do. So rather than fretting about whether or not this rally can continue, Inskip says we should be asking ourselves if we can have a growing economy, even in a deflationary environment. Higher worker productivity is inherently deflationary because you're paying people the same amount of money to generate higher levels of output. Plus, most businesses have spent the last year or so bracing themselves for a recession. Now that the Fed appears to be done bringing the pain, those companies are in fantastic shape. What does it mean for the stock market? Well, why don't we do this? Let's start with the weekly chart of the iShares Russell 2000 ETF. This is a broad index. The Russell 2000 is the benchmark for the kind of small cap stocks that really got obliterated in 2022 and then never found their footing in 2023. In other words, right now, the Russell 2000 is chock full of value stocks. And Inskip says the small cap index is currently in the process of forming a base. Once you get a solid sideways base, it can turn into a trampoline sending you higher. The small cap ETF rallies consistently ran into ceiling resistance at just at 198, which is where the index peaked in August of last year. According to Inskip, this level represents a very large area of supply where people are eager to cash out. And last night she told us that we need to jump that hurdle to confirm that the market's truly brought it out. Sure enough, today the iShares Russell 2000 broke out above 200. All right. Although Inskip won't consider the hurdle cleared until we get a weekly close above 197, which is right down here. In other words, if the Russell 2000 just holds at this level through the end of Friday, whoa, look out, extremely positive. While the SP 500 is heavily weighted toward technology, in the Russell 2000, it's the financials that make up the largest piece of the pie, comprising 21.8% of the index, with the industrials at a fairly close second at 18.8%, and healthcare down there at 11.5%. So if you want to understand the broadening of the bull market, Instagram says you need to get your head around the financials, which brings us to the weekly chart of the XLF, the ETF that represents the financials in the SP 500. Keep in mind, these represent larger banks and brokers and investment banks that you find in the small cap oriented Russell 2000. When you look at the XLF, Inskip notes that there was a strong ceiling resistance at 3538, which was originally the financial ETF's weekly high back in July 12th of 2021. But with its recent run, the XLF has now broken through the ceiling resistance at 35, currently trades at 37 and change. Uh, so in view, the old ceiling has become the ETF's new floor of support. 
The next ceiling of resistance comes at 37.69. Okay, so we're going to have to get up right around here, okay? And uh, that represents a 78.6% uh, Fibonacci retracement of the monster decline in 2022. The XLF is flirting with these levels right now. If we can close above the new ceiling on Friday, the new skip expects more upside. Meanwhile, when you look at the MACD, the moving average convergence divergence right here, look at this. The key momentum indicator that often detects changes in security trajectory before they happen. We recently got what's known as a bullish crossover, and uh, that's where the black line goes above the red. That's one of the most consistently positive signals in the book. Inscript says the XLF may consolidate from here, but it likely won't experience a harsh pullback. And that's especially true if the Fed continues to make dovish noises like we heard last week. I agree with her. This is a great moment for the financials. Now, what does Inscript have to say about the broader market as represented by the SP 500? Check out the weekly chart. She says this looks like a variation on the same theme. Yeah. When the Fed suddenly became your friend last week, the S&P immediately cleared a major resistance level running from 4545 uh, to 4637. Right there, 4545, 4637. Uh, Inskip believes that was the big deal because this resistance level used to represent the S&P's floor of support right under its all-time highs, which are now just a stone's throw away. In fact, the index has now breached the, new, the next ceiling of resistance at 4.743, although uh, from a chart perspective, it doesn't count unless we finish the week above that level. In the end, though, Inscript says you can see this is a strong uptrend as the SP is hugging the high end of the, of the Bollinger brands. Of the lines above and below the action that reflect the current level of volatility. She's betting this index will keep chugging its way higher. Here's the bottom line. The charges interpreted by Jessica and Skip suggest that we can have a lot more confidence in this broader rally once the Russell 2000 the XLF financial ETF thoroughly break through the latest resistance levels on a weekly basis. Both of them have already had these breakouts, but they just need to maintain them through the end of the week to truly confirm the strength of this newly broadened rally. I agree with her. I think this can happen. At the same time, let's not be greedy. Anthony, Kentucky, Anthony. What's going on, Jimmy Chill? This is Anthony calling from Louisville, Kentucky. and just wanted to ask what your thoughts are on PayPal stock and how do you feel about their new CEO, Alex uh, Well, okay, so... If it weren't for Alex Chris, I would say, why are we wasting our time with PayPal? It's just the opposite. This guy is a heavyweight. He's done so many things right. You should be in PayPal. And I've not said that yet, but that's how much I like that guy. Let's go to Mark in Texas. Mark. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, my question is about Ally Financial. The company recorded strong operating results in 21 and 22 However, the results have been negatively impacted lately by the rising interest rate environment. After an earnings miss in uh, Q1, it beat estimates during the last two quarters. With interest rate uh, guidance from the Fed recently, the stock prices have gained some momentum with anticipation that uh, their uh, net interest margin will improve. My concern is there's recent uh, leadership announcements with the resignation of the head of Ally Bank and then also CEO Jeff Brown, whose replacement has yet to be named. Given these events, do you think the stock has a buy, sell, or hold? Well, I, I don't really like what you just told me, but I will tell you, it is in the sweet spot, but it just moved up so much. 
This is one where you need an 8 to 10% pullback, and you need to know who the new executives are before you can pull the trigger. This is one of the hardest ones there is to own and to trade. All right, the charts as interpreted by Jess Ginskip suggest that we can have a lot more confidence in this broader rally once the Russell 2000 and the XLF thoroughly break through the latest resistance levels on a weekly basis. I like this call. Those are the charts we need to watch this week if we want to confirm the strength of this newly broadened rally. Much more mad money at. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Huntington Bankers. Well, I'm talking about the XLF to find out what he expects from the Fed in 2024. Then all year, we've been dealing with the statements from the Fed, and then we hear conflicting things from other Fed officials. I'm offering up a strategy for the new year on how you should invest around the Fed. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. crazy year it's been for the regional bank stocks. After Silicon Valley Bank went under in March, the whole industry got obliterated, with First Republic going on to collapse in May when the group finally bottomed. But even though they stopped going lower, the regional banks didn't truly recover until the last month and a half. Lately, though, they've tried to make a comeback, and some people would say it's with a vengeance, as Wall Street realizes that interest rates have peaked. Now that the industry has a much better backdrop, I want to check back with one of my favorite banks, as you know, throughout this whole period. It's a regional bank. It's the Columbus-based Ohio, Columbus, Ohio-based Huntington Bank shares. Even after this remarkable run since the end of October, the stock still sports up 4.9% yield. I think it's got a lot more going for it. Let's take a closer look with Steve Steinauer. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Huntington Bank shares to learn more. Mr. Steinauer, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks to be with you again, Jim. All right, so Steve, I got to tell you, right in the midst, at the darkest moment, you came on air and you said it's business as usual. I think some people got in at the greatest price ever and others just said, oh, come on. But the fact is, when I look at what you've done this year, it was business as usual, wasn't it? It absolutely was. Three quarters in a row of beats this year. And uh, you were you were prophetic. Well, I was prophetic because you're straightforward. I mean, I think people don't understand. You are always operating for a position of strength. You are always driving capital ratios higher. And you always rigorously manage credit quality. These were the things that decked companies, and you didn't have that. That's right. We've uh, had strong capital, and we built it. Fabulous liquidity, and we've made it even stronger with uh, uh, significant backup lines. Probably the best liquidity position of of any regional bank or larger. Credit has been outstanding for the year, and our earnings have been really good. So all four cylinders hitting it, it's allowed us to continue to do things to support our customers and grow. There was a moment when you came on, and I said, everybody's losing deposits. People are going to all take the deposits and send them to J.P. Morgan. You said, actually, no, we're growing our deposit base. Well, that ended up happening happening all year, didn't it? That's right. Every quarter we grew deposits and uh, and we expect to continue to be able to do so. We've just got great colleagues, great customer service, perennial J.D. Power award winners. And we've tried to do things for our customers, best interests and distinguish our products based on. Now, you have moved into some high growth areas during this period, which I have to tell you that we're kind of now underbanked in uh, in the North Carolina in that area. And how's that going for you? Well, we just launched this, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago at a Goldman Sachs conference. We've got a tremendous group 
of experienced bank managers who've joined us in North and South Carolina. We're very excited. We're going to be building out those teams. We've been there for a decade, so we know what we're getting into, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I'm very, very excited. We're poised in those high-growth markets, five cities, if you will, five regions that uh, each would be top 100 in the U.S. Now, that's not typically what we've been seeing in the Midwest, so this is, uh, this is a really exciting moment for well, us. Well, let's talk about the Midwest for a second. We've seen a lot of reassuring. Actually, you're at the epicenter. Has the money come in yet? It has. If you look at what's happening at Intel, just as one example, the cranes there are massive. The scale of that first plant is incredible. You know, I've been around uh, plants before, but when you get to a fab, these are a whole nother level of, of, of size. And so... That's just one of many. We had LG and, and uh, Honda do a joint venture on electronics. Honda recommitted by putting an EV line into uh, Marysville, Ohio. We've had a lot of announcements in terms of economic development just in central Ohio, but you would see that throughout the Midwest. Michigan has done well. Part, other parts of Ohio have done well. Other areas in the Midwest have done well this year with reshoring. All right, now let's get to another area where everyone tells me what's well, the end of the world. Commercial real estate. Now, you're a banker who actually knows what you lend to. I have to believe that any loan north of 10 million, you've probably been to the darn building. Commercial real estate problems overblown for you? I believe so, because you're right. As we grew the bank, we were very, very careful with front end guidance about who we would do business with. And so historically, I've known all of our larger customers. Now, as we combined with TCF, I can't quite say that today, right. but but uh, I know the vast majority and I know the properties. I'm confident, very confident in the quality of, of who we're doing, people we're doing business with and their ability to work through whatever issues are out there combined with our team and our willingness to work with and help customers when they need. Well, let's talk about the other help. customers that you really help that were supposed to be wiped right. out by the Fed's tightening, small businesses. Right. So we are year in, year out, the number one SBA lender throughout the U.S. It's almost entirely in our footprint. Um, we've done a lot of lending this year, and we've seen very low defaults, very low loss levels in small business. Now, they may be stressed a bit, but they're doing things. These are, you know, they're doing things to uh, uh, reset how they're operating. They're being smarter on some of their expenses, and they're driving their revenue, continuing to build uh, revenue and absorb some of the inflation that they've seen the last now, year or two. I'm not asking you to denigrate any competitors by name, but all of the questions I asked you, not all of the banks would be able to answer similarly positive, would they? That's that's the case. We think we've broken out from the pack, uh, and, and part of that's been a discipline that's been in place for years. We've said since 2010 that we had an aggregate moderate to low risk appetite and we've stayed very disciplined with that approach. And so in a, in a moment where there's some tremors in the market, some disruption, the Silicon Valley failure, that's been an opportunity for us. And, and we've chosen to pursue it that way. One last question. The fact is a regional bank, a true regional bank in Columbus, is a bank that has tremendous ties to the region. And people are not anxious to let that bank go under. That's the bank that they want to send the money to to preserve where they live. Well, they have that aspect, I think, for regional or local banks around the country. And there are a lot of great bankers 
for us, we've had you know more than a decade of JD Power Awards. Our colleagues are highly engaged helping our customers. And that loyalty quotient as a result of that is enormous. And that's how we've grown, in part, how we've grown deposits every quarter this year. Well, I've got to tell you, you said you told it to us straight. I know there were so many skeptics it was painful, but you proved them all wrong because you're just a darn good banker. That is Steve Steinauer, Chairman, President, CEO of Huntington Bankshares. And all I can say to them, Steve, is we told you so. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Quick, money. I'm going to start with Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Quite welcome. What's going on? I uh, currently own Albertsons on your recommendation, and if it doesn't get acquired, Kroger will have to pay a $600 million breakup fee. So should, should I still hold on to it? I, I think you ought to ring the register. I don't trust this FTC. I, I think they want to block the deal. They want to show some gumption. I don't want you to get hurt by their gumption. Let's go to, to uh, Randy in Massachusetts. Randy. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a Same. junior at Westfield State University. Studying Excellent. Business. Shout out okay. Dr. Fiori. I'm calling about the stock Sentinel One, ticker symbol S. All right, this um, stock has just run from 16 to 27, uh, and that's just too high for me. I think you have to schnitzel some, take a little profit. It's time to move on. Let's go to Levon in Kentucky. Levon. Kramer, uh, my stock is OGN. What you what do you think about it? No, I don't care for them at all. I don't think there's much there. The price earnings multiple tells everything is way too low, meaning they probably won't make the quarter. Let's go to Paul in New Jersey. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hi, I just want to thank you and Jeff for another excellent monthly meeting. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a good meeting. You can listen on tape. I'm going to hold in Corterra. I would like your opinion on a possible another way to invest in natural gas. That would be accelerant energy. Yeah, I think it's an interesting way to play it. Stocks down a lot. I think it's an interesting thing. I would also think of uh, Enterprise Partners and also ET. Um, Let's go to Mark in Kansas. Mark. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? All right. I'm good. I was wondering about RTX. I think RTX is making a major comeback here. We know that Boeing's doing better. I have to believe that they're doing better. I think all the bad news is out. That one's I want to buy. Let's go to Bill in Massachusetts. Bill. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Nice. What's happening? Hey, I, I uh, enjoyed the monthly meeting today. Thank it you. was incredible. You Thank were on you. fire. I was fired up. That's true. That was great. It was incredible. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I had a question for you about um, Denaher. I bought some in the 190s. I love it. It's up $30 a share. I'm ready for more. What do you think? I think it goes much higher. I think that we're going to start seeing some IPOs with biotechs. That's what Danaher needs. I think it's a real good stock. I think it's 2024 is their year, as I said in the call. Thank you for nice comments on the call. Paul in Texas. Paul. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Jim. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Tell me about ACLS. 
Well, it's another good semiconductor component company, uh, but there are so many of them. I don't have an edge on it other than say that it's not that expensive. Let's go to Jonathan, Pennsylvania. Jonathan. Jim, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. How are you? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. What's going on? Uh, The stock I'm calling about today is up 12% year-to-date, 40% over the last month. They just announced last week they're exploring a sale. Uh, and I've been in it since its IPO in 2018. Should I hold or sell DocuSign right now? Um, I would take the profits at least in half. It's been a great uh, a great move for you, and let's not give it all back. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, heed the Fed, but use your head. Kramer shares a common-sense approach to dealing with D.C. Next. Walk back this, take back that, nothing meant, nothing taken. How many times have we heard these phrases to describe the Federal Reserve? All year we've been dealing with statements from Fed Chief Jay Powell, followed by conflicting statements by other Fed members. Throughout this process, we're told that these Fed governors and regional Fed presidents somehow take precedence. So we should just ignore what we heard from Powell, representing the entire open market committee. We end up tying ourselves in knots listening to these interviews and speeches. We, we, we think there's some sort of weird equivalence between the Fed chief and his occasionally disgruntled minions. But it's just not true. And it constantly throws people off the scent. Frankly, if we've learned anything this year, it's that the Fed's all about Jay Powell. He's the chairman. He runs the shop. You're fooling yourself if you try to pretend otherwise. So how do you handle all this conflicting information coming out of our nation's central bank? Look, we can always listen to Fed officials, but when they contradict or chastise the most powerful Fed chairman in recent memory, you should just believe the chairman. There's no one more clear and more forceful. No one. Yet we constantly seem to think Powell's no more important than whoever spoke last. It's bad enough that so many money managers cede their brains to the Fed, something that's been happening all year. But when they cede their brains to some regional Fed official who may or may not be at odds with the rest of the committee, oh, please. Don't get me wrong, the Federal Reserve deserves our attention. It absolutely has the power to move markets. But I think we need to limit ourselves to, to making decisions based on the actual meetings, just as we limit ourselves to thinking about the monthly employment report on that Friday. Otherwise, you're dealing with too many conflicting data points, and that makes it impossible to think at all, something I talked about at noon with the investing club. So what should we be looking at? I think we got to go back to the basics here, people. Are interest rates having big moves, not small moves? Are individual companies saying good things or bad things? Are stocks too expensive versus the prospects are too cheap? Something that seems like an afterthought, a silly one these days. Is sentiment too positive or negative? For that, I've always relied on the SP oscillator with excellent results. Today's plus seven move has me a little jittery. And we really need to get back to figuring out if the stock has to pull back before it's worth buying, something I often talk about in the lighting round, even as people seem to prefer more black and white answers. For most of my career, this business was all about the basics. Then the rapid fire machines took over, making decisions based on correlations that may or may not keep holding up. I think we should return to the old approach now that 58 percent of American households own stocks in some shape or form. We just need to know what levels represent value and what levels are too expensive. And we need to stop listening when permanently negative strategists try to knock us off the game. Only then will we be free of the second-guessing Fed talk and strategic bloviating. And that's when we can finally start picking individual stocks again, ones that represent good companies with great prospects that can withstand the test of time. I like to say, as always, bull market summer. And promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.